Hey everybody, C Note here. Just uh, I wanted to share a quick little uh, treat that I've got for you guys. An interview that I just did with Carrie Miller, who is a post-divorce specialist. Uh, I had a conversation with her that will be um, the the. I had a previous conversation with her that will be posted in a few weeks. Um, but I just had a conversation with her on Facebook Live uh, to further this topic, more about this topic, and um, I'm going to post that now. So you can go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash design to look at my, the tag post, and you can watch the Facebook Live, or I'm just going to post it here and post it as one of the podcasts, and you can listen to it that way. Um, and that'll be, that'll be it. So uh, without further ado, enjoy my chat with Carrie Miller. Okay, I think we're live. Yay. So I'm here. What's that? Hello, humans. <laughs> the other humans. Yes. Um, so I'm here with Christian Rivera today, and he is going to tell us a little bit about his story. And um, we're going to touch on some heartbreak, and he's also going to tell us kind of how he's coping and what he's doing with his life while he is healing his heart. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of things currently going on. I've been through a lot of heartbreak in the past in my life, but uh, I'll speak mostly to well, what's been going on lately. Currently going through a divorce. Um, my divorce will be final in April. Everything was officially called off in September. And my wife is also uh, pregnant with my first child. Uh, so there's a lot of interesting uh, guilt and heartbreak going on associated not only with the divorce itself, um, with my child uh, being born. Uh, it's also difficult and particularly heartbreaking for me because I'm being kind of distanced from the child and um, being allowed to be involved in the life of the child. Um, so that, that, creates an, an even stronger strain going on with that. Uh, we were together for seven years. We were married for two, uh, two and a half years. And um, there was a lot of issues throughout the relationship, throughout the marriage. And like in any good relationship, you know, it starts out great or any relationship starts out great. Things are going well for a few years. There's a lot of uh, fun and laughing and, you know, sexual things and everyone's having a good time. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, things happen um, where there's a lack of trust, where you start to see certain aspects of someone's personality start to come out that maybe doesn't gel with you, or you there's communication issues. In our case, it was strongly communication issues that sort of led to me, unfortunately, you know, reaching outside of my marriage and my relationship a couple of times, uh, and that created an even further rift in us. Um, mixed with some of me uh, and my cyclothymia, which is a low-grade bipolar disorder that affects my moods. So I can go from depressive to manic uh, in a matter of hours, days. It could last for weeks or months. It's kind of a cyclical thing. So it goes from like depressive and then you kind of gain energy over time and you kind of level out for a while and then 
if you don't manage it properly, you start to go into a manic state, which is more of a increased energy level, uh, which is stuff that I talk about a lot, uh, increased energy level, and then you get to the point where it starts to feel good, it starts to feel productive, and then after you get to what I call stage five, which is like the deep manic stuff, you start to get to a point where you are being a little bit more reckless, you are making risky behaviors or decisions, you're a little bit more irritable, um, and you know, communication is difficult. It's kind of an ADHD kind of feeling, like you can't focus on anything either. And uh, it's hard to be productive. It's hard to keep jobs sometimes. And it's, there's been relationship issues um, with that as well. And unless you have a partner that is really good at understanding all of the details of what that is and being supportive of what that is, it's, it's very hard to maintain a good relationship that way. Uh, whereas, you know, so with, with my, my marriage that, I, that is currently uh, going through a divorce, um, there was a lot of communication issues uh, as it pertains to that, uh, meaning I would be expressive of how I'm feeling or what I'm going through, and uh, there was not a lot of understanding behind what that actually is. Um, understanding and patience behind what that is. Did and you know that you had this cyclothymia? Is that what it's called? Yeah, cyclothymia. I've known I've, I've known that I've had some degree of this since I was about ten years old. I've only recently been diagnosed with cyclothymia about two years ago. I always thought it was bipolar disorder, which is worse. <laughs> so uh, I've always been aware of some degree of it and have been expressive of it. Um, but it's hard. It's like anytime you try to explain even just generalized depression to somebody, they think it's a disorder where you're just sad and they're just like, you know. Go for a run, get out of bed, eat better, and it's not really that. It's it's a lack of feeling, really. Like sad would be better than feeling depressed because you're feeling something. You have somewhere to go. Um, and did your and wife know that this was something that you had? Yeah, this, yeah, she was very aware of it. I was very open about it. Um, I was going to therapy uh, once every two weeks and talking to her about it. I kind of let her know what was going on. Um, and she was very aware of it. And uh, unfortunately, I think sometimes she saw uh, my behavior as uh, linked to that as kind of an excuse to exhibit certain behaviors, whether it was like, uh, so for instance, there was one time where I spent an entire Saturday working on a song. She was out with her family and friends and they were out uh, doing something that like, you know, that I couldn't be involved in or wasn't involved in for some reason. Uh, so I stayed at home all day and I worked on a song and uh, I was feeling very productive, um, what I call kind of like a stage four mania, where mm -hmm. I feel very productive, I feel pretty good. Um, and basically worked on the song for like eight hours straight, felt really good about it. And then the next day, basically after mania comes a crash, you know, you go so high and you just kind of like tip and you go back to the one, you go back to the depressive stage. That's why it's called Cyclophobia, it's cyclical. You kind of start with the manic phase and then kind of work your way back around to depression and then kind of go back up. Um, so what happened there is I spent pretty much the, all, the entire day working on the song and then the next day I crashed completely. She had a, I'm also an introvert, so that's a thing too but in relation to this story. Um, so she had a bunch of family and friends coming over unexpectedly, didn't really tell me about it. And um, the next day I woke up and I just had nothing. My, I was 
deep depression, couldn't get out of bed, couldn't move, didn't want to communicate with anyone. I expressed this to her, and unfortunately, uh, she was just very concerned with making sure that she could be a good host to people and expected me to perform, essentially, and be up there with her and, you know, co-host with her. And in any normal circumstance, I absolutely would do that. And, uh, you know, I, I'd be on stage with her, essentially, and, um, you know, help her with the chores and house and cooking and, and making sure that everyone was entertained and having a good time. But this day in particular, and I've had this on, on a, few, a few occasions, um, I couldn't get out of bed. I, I couldn't move. I didn't get out of bed until 7.30 p.m. after the party was over. And Are you she, just tired? Do you just feel like you want to sleep? or? Um, it's, it starts out as tired and sleepy, but then it's kind of like, it's, it's like a lack of will. Like your muscles just don't know how to move. Like mm-hmm. you can't. You just, you, you're just like, you can almost like pick a body part and start focusing on it, like your arm, and just like, I need to move this, and you just can't. You just, wow. have the, it's like a sheer lack of will. Gotcha. Um, so like I was up until 7.30 p.m. Uh, uh, in bed. I didn't go to the bathroom. I didn't get anything to eat. Um, I didn't even look at my phone or anything. I was just in bed, just staring in space, and um, or sleeping. It was kind of jumping in and out of sleeping or or, or like that, she would kind of pop into the room and, um, you know, say, at first it sounded kind of sweet, like, you know, are you okay? Are you getting out of bed? And then after about an hour, I was like, I don't think this is going very well. Like I'm not having, I'm having a really, really difficult day. And um, after a while, it just started being seen as a personal thing. Like I was doing this to like spite her and she would pop into the room and be like, what the hell? Like, why are you getting out of bed? Why aren't you doing this? You're like, you're you're being a jerk right now, or something like that. And um, it's, in, on one hand, I can't particularly blame her for being upset about that in that scenario. But in, in another sense, it's it's the reality of what I what I'm going through. You I mean, wish you would have understood. Yeah, I'm not I'm not making it up. <laughs> like this, like to stay in bed all day, not eat, not sleep, or not go to the bathroom uh, is an extreme way to get out of just talking to people. That's, yeah. that's, not, that's not reasonable in any normal circumstance. So I would understand if she's never experienced that herself, and a lot of people who have never experienced this, that themselves, and may have a partner who has depression or some form of depression, uh, they may not be able to properly understand what their partner is going through, and may not have the patience to support it, to, to be there for that. Uh, and in my past, I've had a lot of, I've had a couple of different relationships. I've been, I've been lucky enough in life to have fallen in love a few times in my life. And, um, you know, that comes with a couple heartbreaks as well. And, uh, you know, the first one in particular was a situation that was similar in the sense Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. 
I'm Mo Rocca, and I'm excited to announce Season 4 of my podcast, Mobituaries. I've got a whole new bunch of stories to share with you about the most fascinating people and things who are no longer with us. From famous figures who died on the very same day to the things I wish would die, like buffets, all that and much more. Listen to Mobituaries with Mo Rocca wherever you get your podcasts. Inspired by the life of the savvy and ambitious Colombian businesswoman Griselda Blanco comes a new Netflix original limited series. Griselda tells the story of a devoted mother who, with her lethal blend of charm and relentless savagery, creates one of the most powerful cartels in history. Witness Sofia Vergara's captivating transformation into the godmother of the underworld. Griselda, now streaming only on Netflix. When I was going through... A lot of this stuff, I didn't understand it as deeply as I do now. Um, but there were certainly behaviors that I can trace back to that are linked to this type of feeling of particularly the mania aspect is kind of the harder one to explain it because on the outside looking in, it kind of looks like you're just being productive where <laughs> you're just being extra. You've got all this energy and you're being extra confident and you feel like you can take on the world. And what people usually don't see is the crash afterwards, um, where you start to feel this sense of confidence. You start to feel like you can do everything that you can. Um, you know, and with that, towards, you know, I call stage five. Um, uh, I call it stage five because I'm doing, I'm doing my own method to track my moods for my therapist, which is why I call it that. It's not an official term or anything. Um, but stage five, which is like the hype of mania, essentially, is what leads to a susceptibility to alcohol, promiscuity, um, drugs. I haven't gotten into drugs or anything, but alcohol was a big problem for me in my early 20s. Did a lot of binge drinking. Um, uh, not necessarily promiscuity, but maybe the, the attempt at trying to get people to be into me that way um, was a problem during those early 20s. And I wasn't really in relationships at that time, so it wasn't really that big of a problem relationship-wise. But um, it did have a problem in some of my earlier relationships, um, that first one being one where um, she was very similar to my wife in the sense that she didn't really understand what I was going through, that I would explain it, and there was not a lot of support there. Um, and it kind of created this big rift between us. We had... We had that, but it was also, we had differences in grander beliefs. You know, she was Roman Catholic. I was very much not, 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 not. <laughs> I'm very, um, and that, that created a kind of a big difference between us. And, um, and we also just had some different life philosophies. Like I wanted to do bigger things. I wanted to make music or make art or do all these things. And, she had a very, um, a very kind of grounded mindset. You know, she kind of grew up in a family where it's like, you you grow up, you get married by like 24, you have kids by 26, you know, you have your house and all that stuff. And this is stuff we were talking about at 19 years old, and it freaked me out. And um, you know, it, it ultimately led to um, some difficulties in our communication, difficulties in me sort of being able to. Um, properly express certain things 
Um, and I wasn't as good of a communicator as I am now, which is, you know, much better. How old are you, how old are you now, Christian? I am 32. You're 32, okay. Yeah. Uh, and I only feel like I've been learning who I am in the past few years. So sure, kind of, that's normal. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. uh, uh, so yeah, at 19, there was a lot to figure out in terms of what was going on with me internally, but going on in my relationships. And um, the, the first time, that, that first relationship, I broke it off with her because of how deeply depressive I would get in my cycles and her lack of understanding for that. Mm -hmm. um, I did not feel like uh, I wanted to subject her to that. It was kind of like a, um, Same. I, I had this, I had this part, this pattern of kind of being a martyr in relationships. Saving her, was, not yeah, subjecting. Saving, yeah. Right. Like I didn't want to subject her to all of this, you know, and <laughs> I essentially let her go. And, um, you know, I dealt with the breakup of that relationship for like 10 years. Um, let me ask you this real quick. Did, yeah. did realizing that this was a part of who you are, did it make you feel like you were unlovable? For a long time, yeah. Uh, it made me feel like, um, strangely, strangely like the opposite of that in, in a little ways too, because I had, whenever I had connections with people, mm -hmm. friendships or relationships or anybody that was into me, it, it's, it's like they dove really deep and they, they got really strongly connected to me. But then I felt like me as a person, I couldn't let anyone too close because anything, I didn't feel like anything long term was sustainable. I didn't feel like I was reliable as a person. I didn't feel like um, I was any sense of predictable, essentially, <laughs> you know, in a way that some people might appreciate. Uh, I didn't have uh, values that were very set in stone in terms of either religious beliefs or um, you know, having a family at a young age or anything like that. I mean, we've always been just kind of figuring life out as I go. And even now I'm still kind of doing that. And, um, you know, I, I kind of, I, I would get into these relationships where I kind of make those promises, but then at the same time, I feel like I did, couldn't actually live up to those. Did promises. you know, as you were saying and hoping and wanting this to go on, you knew it, I'm not going to be able to do this. Yeah. I felt like, I felt like for a very long time that I wasn't going to be capable of having a long-term healthy relationship. I almost predicted that I would have multiple divorces in my life or something. That's gotcha. You know, and I, I just didn't share the same society values uh, when it came to like, you know, marriage and, and the course that life brings a lot of people where mm -hmm. it's like, you do this, this, and then this, and then this, and I'm very punk rock. So I'm like, screw you. I'm going to do whatever I want. <laughs> do no. you do you think that <clears throat> if you had and then we're just talking about early 20s because I'm yeah. I know a lot of people have these kinds of I say issues just for lack of a better word right. um do you think that if you had been honest completely honest with someone in the beginning would that have helped or would that have just scared them away initially I think it would have helped um if I had a better understanding of it okay um I think if I, if I think, I think if I did have a better understanding of it, I would have been able to be more honest up front uh, about what it is and what I'm dealing with. Uh, fortunately, you know, who I'm with now, Molly, mm -hmm. as you know, you've mm -hmm. spoken to her mm -hmm. uh, a few times already. Uh, her and I, we kind of got up front in terms of that stuff. Like I was able to be blunt about 
who I am and my values. And, and we had those conversations. We kind of dug deep into each other and kind of tried to figure out like, where are the pain points? Where are the things that are gonna make us run away from each other? And we were completely honest from the start. Um, and that's been a good um, barometer for how our relationship is growing, that we're, we're being honest with each other and it's been great because of that. How much do you think, this is like a gut check, how yeah. much of that is your connection with Molly and how much of that is your maturity in your ability to communicate? I think it's a solid 50-50, maybe 60-40. Okay, that's honest. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I feel like both um, the end of my marriage mm -hmm. was sort of the result of this personal growth that I was going through where I basically spent the last seven years, um, for lack of a better way to put it, catering to my wife and sort of doing everything that she wanted to make her happy, to uh, give her the life that she wanted, even though it was like very, um, you know, like I mentioned that I didn't have these set values of like wanting to get married and have kids and all these things in this order, essentially. And I tried again with my wife to try to give her that, you know, I, I, I do love her and I cared about her and, you know, it's um, a situation where I started to just kind of go to therapy. I learned more about myself and I kind of learned that, you know, not taking care of myself, not being uh, honest with what I want and what my values are and who I am has kind of led me to be, I kind of let myself be a prisoner to somebody else's desires and wants and mm -hmm. things in life. And I wasn't making my own decisions. I was kind of just not allowing myself to be the person that I wanted to be. I was being attached to my wife's life and I wasn't being an individual. And there was a period where I started to express that and I was essentially expressing that to her. And, and the more I would kind of dive into this personal development, the more it became a problem within my relationship. Um, she wanted because, you to stay the same, right? Yeah, she wanted me to continue, um, you know, bleeding on her hand and foot, essentially. Um, so it's really not that extreme, I guess, but it's also, um, there, there was a lot of, uh, to, to kind of preface this for people who don't know, I've already talked to you about this, but, um, you know, I, I did not get a lot of attention from, girls when I was young and uh, I always felt like I had to do something a little extra to get the girl's attention mm -hmm. and um, especially when I was single in my early 20s I was I had a couple of times where I was feeling very confident and I had a couple of little like, blings here and there but um, when it came time to where I felt like I wanted to try something serious again I realized that or at least I felt that because of who I am and what I'm going through um, and personal self-confidence issues, image issues, things like that, but I felt like I had to put in extra effort to get someone to be interested in me. And that's that sort of philosophy really poured deeply into my life. And I, I gave her, basically I, I gave her gifts all the time. I spoke to her every day. I basically responded to her right away. I, um, I was I was there for her every second of every day. I was very available and gave her attention. And I think at first um, she wasn't even naturally interested in me. I kind of just like 
I, I feel like I kind of convinced her or tricked her into liking me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and essentially once I started to, any time that I started to kind of feel like I was making more life decisions for myself than I, things that I wanted or, or pulling back from that because I was exhausted, you know, sometimes giving that, much, giving that much, especially without getting in any kind of sense can be very exhausting. Right. Uh, so particularly the past few years when I was going through therapy and um, uh, trying to figure out if, if I really was the problem, if there was a problem in my relationship, um, I started to become more self-aware, started to become more, um, uh, to dive into my self-growth. And as I started to do that, you know, I started to get essentially a rebellion from my life. And uh, that kind of, we pushed each other away. Why do you think she rebelled? What I mean, if you had to pick one um, emotion that she was feeling at the time when you're changing, what do you think she was feeling? Was it that she was being selfish? Was she scared? Was she? What, what was she feeling? Do you think? If you can, I think. I think it was. Hmm, I don't know if I could put it into an emotion so much as it's like. It, it's it's almost like a like a manifested fear of change in a way, but also um, I, I agree with the previous assessment you had and, and her fear of abandonment. She was scared she, to death. Yeah, she was <clears throat> she was scared that I was going to stop giving her the attention that she was used to and, um, you know, uh, was fighting against that, um, wanted me to just go back to the way I was. Because that's comfortable for her and she knows what to expect and not a and lot so far, is expected of her. And, Right, and so far it's been very good for her. <laughs> right. You know, she she got everything that she's wanted out of it, you know. And um, meanwhile, I was devolving, and I didn't feel like I was literally going to live much longer. I was having a lot of depressive episodes and um, not in a healthy place mentally. So I needed to make some adjustments. And um, one of the big adjustments for me was to start looking into different kinds of support. Not necessarily like a support group, but um, more like-minded people. And it's kind of part of what I'm going through now post-heartbreak. I kind of felt like um, post-divorce and a little bit before divorce are kind of muddled. It's kind of all the same mm -hmm. in a way. Um, where I was starting to seek out support from healthy sources. Because in the past, I seeked support from... Uh, uh, from women as an emotional thing or even a sexual thing as some sort of either sense of self-validation or some way to just kind of make me feel, you know, to make me feel good um, about myself again. What and, would you say, if you could, what are the differences between how you and Molly have done this? I, I know you're very self-aware and all the things that have gone into the other relationship falling apart what are the main differences and why is it working i think what's what's working is that we are able to discuss all of the nuances that are going on in each other's heads we've we're both sharing similar scenarios and situations so that's an easy thing to bond with mm -hmm. but the sheer amount of honesty that has come with that mm -hmm. uh like just one honesty literally conveying uh, what we mean when we say something versus what we think they might mean or something and just being being honest about that in the moment 
uh, and not letting it fester. I think a lot of people hold things in when they want to say something, and we really just don't hold back um, in a respectful way. You know, we're not blaming, sure. like fighting or arguing. Sure. We're respectful to each other. We understand each other, and um, that's really the key difference. Whereas in my previous relationship, there was really no understanding of of me. There was no curiosity of who I was as a person. Just um, what you could do for her. Yeah, it's just it was it was all about what I could do for her or couldn't do for her, um, and just feeling feeling the, the really the the feeling is probably the biggest difference. It's like feeling loved and respected um, uh, more than anything. And that was the last really two or three months. That was the big assessment that I was going through, where I was I was thinking I had gone through all of these little um, kind of personal sort of, um, I don't want to say tests, but like examinations of our relationship, kind of just like picked a topic almost and like focused on that for a little bit and evaluated it. Um, but the last big one that I was going through over the last two or three months was, does my wife love and respect me? And uh, the ways that I determined that were by seeing if she asked questions about me, seeing if she was curious about me, seeing, listening to how she spoke to me, listening to how she asked for something, um, and listening to the what I wanted and if she respected that decision at all, or if it was a problem every time. Um, you know, uh, it, it was, it was a, a very, I don't remember the exact moment that I realized or I felt like I realized that my wife didn't love or respect me, but didn't realize it. That's the crazy part to me is that I feel like she didn't realize that or, or at least in my, or she didn't realize that my perception is that, you know, I, I, I thought she didn't love or care about me anymore. Now this is a tough question, <clears throat> but if you let's, let's, take this completely hypothetical and you meet this girl and she is one way to you and she tells you I love picking up after you no 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 don't do anything I'll do it for you and mm -hmm. she does this for years and then starts to change would you feel like you ever really knew that person or would that be a scary thing for you to be like wait a second who who am I actually with Right. The only the only reason why I'm saying this is like from her perspective, do you think that she was able to see you as who you were, or was she just used to you being who you told her you were? I think it was more of the latter. I'd say almost like 70-30, really, where she was more so used to me being the guy that gave her everything she wanted. And um, I think she, I think she knew plenty of aspects of who I was as a person. I mm -hmm. think she had um, plenty of curiosity. She got to know me, um, especially over that long period of time. It's kind of impossible to get to not get to know someone to some degree. But um, I think I think that I, I definitely feel like my approach of being too um, spoiling, I guess, uh, you know, kind of went against me eventually and you know I didn't allow her as a result of that to really like who I was because I think at the time I didn't feel like I didn't feel like she would like who I was naturally 
And it's not about blame and it's not about like, it's not like it's your fault or anything like that because you're learning who you are too. And then you're realizing that. And in a, in a true love or in a real loving relationship, people can change and that person's going to support you and want to be there with you too. But in the case where she was, she got really used to being with you that spoiled her, loved her, just did everything for her. And yeah, I can see where that was a tough change for her. I I get your side and I understand it completely. I like to like think about the other person and where was the issue, you know, and it's probably Mm -hmm. something in five, 10 years, she's probably going to be like, Oh, you know, like really realize what had happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's very, that's very possible. I think, I, I thought about that also, and I think you broke it down nicely, and it was a really good question. Uh, and which is why I wanted to value the start of my current relationship more than anything, because the I, I've had uh, previous situations where the start was not so great. You know, with my first relationship when I was 19, that was so rocky that that kind of translated into my next relationship, and that became a, a rocky issue there where that, that started um, – as something that was still, I was emotionally attached to the previous relationship and was expressing that outwardly, and that did not uh, <laughs> go very well. <laughs> you know, finding someone that you can be honest with is very, I won't say it's difficult, I would say it's rare. And then finding someone that will be honest back to you, mm-hmm. because what happens in a relationships a lot is when someone gets in a relationship, they start seeing that other person as a continuation of themselves when it's not the case. Right. And society for a long time taught, you know, to become one. Well, mm-hmm. that does a lot more harm than good because then it, the person can't see that other person is just being their individual. And if they want to act like a crazy person at a party, it doesn't reflect on you. If whatever they want to do is what they want to do, you know, do do you understand what I'm saying? Like it's kind of been an unhealthy thing to, to join the two personalities and have them become one instead of them just being both steady and together to make one. Right. And I think, I think maybe that's where some of the control dynamics in a lot of relationships, a lot of relationships end up shifting. You know, I, I tend to find at least so far in this, this is probably the most healthy relationship I've had um, where we're really good at balancing. You know, it's not about one person's more dominant than the other in any given situation. We're literally, you know, we're intertwining and helping each other. And um, I think it's when somebody gets to attach to another person, they start to control their behaviors because they feel like that's a reflection of themselves. Mm -hmm. And therefore it's a big problem. You need to be this because I'm this. And if you're not this, then I'm going to bring you back down. And that's well, and a lot of it is people worrying what outside people, what outside mm-hmm. people are seeing. Oh my God, if he acts like that, then people are going to think this of me. Well, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, you know, but right. we don't educate young people. The only thing young people have to go on is what? their experiences, what they see, when they what see they've seen. So their parents' relationships, their grandparents, you know, so you end up reacting, re not reacting. You end up acting like what mm-hmm. you've seen before instead of there ever being a time 
where someone's like, okay, this is actually what will, here's a bag of tricks. This will help you have a healthy relationship because that's yeah. not important in uh-huh. our society. Right. And I'm curious, actually, based on this conversation, uh, I, I think of I think of unhealthy behaviors that are kind of represented in pop culture. Uh, oh, yeah. And, you know, like arguing is healthy. <laughs> or, you know, arguing all the time, that just means you care. Or being insecure means that you care. Stuff like that. Are there other examples that you can think of that... Um, that, that are kind of publicly thought of as like... Well, there are those cute memes, right? Like people that aren't arguing um, or people that aren't... Uh, okay, I'll say arguing, but I think it's actually disagreeing. People that... If someone's not arguing, then someone's not talking. Right. Have you heard something like that? Yeah. yeah. But see, that gives, like you said, it gives people that misunderstanding of, you know, I'm supposed to say whatever it is I want. And I don't know if you've ever heard it, but brutally honest people like the brutality more than the honesty. Yeah, that's a good thing. <clears throat> so, you know, being able to, so you have to have like all these pieces that mesh up and are actually right in order for a relationship to work well. You have to find someone that you can talk to, that you find attractive, you know, all these things. And what happens is, People are like, well, there's no such thing as perfect. You know, you'll hear someone tell you there's no such thing as perfect. So what do people do? They end up settling. And a lot of times what they settle on are the parts that will actually sustain a relationship. Well, he's hot or she's hot. You know, I've got that passion, so I'm going to go for this. Well, then you've got this shell of a person that you can't work with. Right. You know, and instead of saying, look, take take your time. Can you talk to this person? Can you actually, no kidding. And that's the thing though, like with me, if people, I've gotten to the point where if someone's expressing something to me and I know that it's unhealthy, I don't want to fix them. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to fix them. Right. So if they start saying things to me, I get red flags. And I'm like, Oop, I'm out. Because <laughs> I know there are certain things, and especially if they're not the kind of person that wants to actually, you know, work, they're just saying these things, and I see it as being red flags, Mm-mm. I can't do it anymore. I used right. to be in the business of fixing people, and it's mm-hmm. exhausting. Right. You know, I want to find a whole person, even a flawed person, but they're self-aware, mm-hmm. you know, they're healthy enough that they can sustain a relationship. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they're they're an individual. They're know, an individual. Kind of two people versus two halves. Exactly. Like you want another whole person. You want somebody who is self-aware, understanding of who they are, realize mm-hmm. that they have flaws, but they're not going to reject that stuff onto you. They're working through their own things, and they're willing to they're willing to talk about it, maybe. But um, you know, they're they're a person that has self-respect. They take ownership mm-hmm. over who they are. And they're not trying to make you fix them or they're not trying to fix you. That's not how that works. One of the biggest, one of the biggest uh, red flags for me is if someone's, you know, divorced or whatever, which, you know, so many of us are now. Mm-hmm. But if they don't take ownership of any of the, the, um, it's not even guilt or blame, but if they haven't really learned or have lessons or, you know, even if they don't say, I could have done a lot of things differently. You know, I could have, if they don't say that, if everything is the other person's fault, that is a huge red flag to me. Yeah. Because there's no way, first of all, a demise of a relationship isn't one person's fault. 
it's not really about fault. You know, sometimes it's just the two people just aren't a good connection. Um, but the, the biggest red flag is, oh, no, it was all their fault. Well, that's not true. It can't be true. There are somebody has to take responsibility. Each person has to take responsibility, even if it's just I really ignored some things I should have paid attention to. You know, at least I know that they've thought through their responsibility in the relationship not working. Does that make sense? It does make sense, especially in the post heartbreak, like mm -hmm. right after months after something's gone wrong. I think a lot of people's instincts are to bash the other person. Mm -hmm. And like my immediate reaction is it's unfortunate that this happened, that, you know, we couldn't work together. But I was, um, you know, amidst this last relationship, I got very close with her niece, who was uh, 16. She just turned 17 yesterday. Uh, and she, I was essentially a father figure to her. And uh, I spoke to her about this as, Part of the leaving process was like, you know, this this is this is about the relationship. You know, her and I just weren't working. I still love her as a person. I still respect her as a person. I care about who she was, and I do not regret any bit of the last seven years. I'm sure there are things I would have changed in terms of who I was and how I behaved, but I've got to allow myself to realize that the person I was in that moment was the person I was in that moment. <laughs> that it's, the forgiveness uh, aspect, right. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, I was, there was plenty of good in that relationship. I have all but love for her, and especially she's going to be the mother of my child. I have the utmost respect for her as a person. She'll be a great mom. And, uh, you know, I look forward to being able to see how that manifests. I love your, I love your, and that's one of, the, one of the reasons I like talking to you because you have such a healthy view of her and mm -hmm. the relationship and, you know, you're able to, and you have been able to look at things and it's such a, what's that word? It's such a um, breath of fresh air because a lot of people are either blaming everything on the other person or they've taken mm -hmm. all the blame on themselves you know, and it's not something that you can build off of. And you are probably one of the few people that I know that at least that sounded like something blew up outside. Um, you're one of the people that I have the most hope for moving forward into a new relationship because of your ability to look at things the way you do. And it's well, very, really, very healthy. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah. And I, pr I pride myself on my self awareness, on my self growth. And Trying to be a better person every single day. You mm -hmm. know, I don't want to harbor any ill feelings about the past or things that happened. But I've had, you know, situations with close friends where I've had to kind of distance myself from them. But I'm grateful for the times that I had with them. And, right. You know, that doesn't change the good moments. And right. um, you know, I, I get I get frustrated when I see other people who are just bashing their exes all the time. And um, you know. Just that lack of uh, ownership and responsibility kind of sucks. But hopefully through, you know, people like you, and, and I talk about some of this stuff on my podcast too, mm -hmm. too through my situations, uh, that we can kind of help with some mindset shifts in that mm -hmm. area. And, and that kind of leads to a question that I have for you. About, sure. Um, really just like the divorce rate and um, how... I feel like lately more than ever, it's it's more people are um, 
either taking a stand for what they want mm-hmm. in life um, and, and, and kind of just trying to find more of what they feel is like more of an authentic, re- real good relationship. Um, do you think that uh, specifically or any other examples, do you feel that uh, the perceptions, like we were talking about earlier, you know, when kids see older relationships, they model that mm-hmm. uh, essentially. Do you feel like that's a big part of the problem that people are just trying to be what other people's relationships are and then they're essentially failing because of that? Well, so there's a couple of things and this is just my big picture and overall look at things. But in our 20s, we're still molding. We're still forming. And that's the age at which, you know, having children naturally is the healthiest to have kids, right? So we get together with basically another kid because, you know, I mean, you're years between 20 and 30, you're still really figuring out who you are. You've right. left your home, you're getting, you're being independent. And really that's kind of what you do is you kind of go play house, not to be, you know, derogatory towards anybody. It's just that that's kind of the push. And then you hit about 30, 31, and you start changing. And if you're not with someone that you have that ability to talk openly and honestly with, it's just, it's, it's, it's not good. And the problem is too, is, you know, we're in a society where they're like, well, if you're not happy, fuck it. I'm trying not to curse on these. If you're not, (laughs) if you're, if you're, yeah, because yeah, I've been trying. If you're not happy, then, then screw it. Move on, you know? Mm -hmm. And relationships, whether it's, you think about, did you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, I have younger brothers and sisters. Okay. So we have family members that we've argued with and we've fought with and that we still love more than anything. That doesn't mean we want to just divorce them, right? Right. But we kind of live in a society now where it's like, well, if you're not happy, throw it away, do another, you know? So it's, it's a couple of problems really. Um, it is more acceptable now to, to be divorced. You know, I know back when my parents got divorced, it was not, you know, as acceptable to have that happen. It was getting more towards that, but, um, now it's more acceptable to be divorced and on your own and, you know, these kinds of things. So I can pinpoint and I can look at a lot of societal earmarks, I guess, and things that make relationships and sustaining relationships difficult. Because if you're having problems in your marriage and you go talk to a friend, nine times out of 10, that friend's going to be like, leave them. Right. Because that's easy. That's the easiest thing. But the thing is, a lot of people, that whole grass is greener on the other side, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm single. So a lot of my married friends are like, man, I wish I could. And I'm like, you don't realize how lucky you are. You know what I'm saying? Like we all, if you want, if you have curly hair, you want short hair or straight hair. You know what I mean? Like there's not, the answer isn't just as easy as having something different than you have. Yeah. <clears throat> so society makes it difficult to sustain a good marriage, but the biggest key is not to settle. So you have to, um, you have to be sure that you're with the right person before you make a commitment. Yeah, definitely. Sorry, there's a lot of noise. No, you're fine. My door. <laughs> like the kids suddenly decided to run outside my door, and I heard everything. <laughs> no, you're um, fine. Is there so w- with all that in mind? Um, is there such a thing as a 
bad reason to get a divorce? Is there such a thing as a bad reason to get a divorce? You know, um, that's an interesting question. I would yeah. say if someone doesn't at least try, you know, if there are children involved, right? you know, and there, I don't believe in staying married for anybody other than the two people. Right. But a lot of times people throw in the towel before they've really given it all they can. And if my thing is, if you give your word mm-hmm. and you say, I'm going to love you through the good and the bad, then you at least have to try. You at least have to do the work and try to make it work. Now, if you've gotten to the part where it's just not going to be okay, you know, you are absolutely miserable with who you are and, you know, it's just not a healthy situation for anybody involved, then yes, I think you, you're you obligated at that point to at least, you know, but like in the 50s and the, and the relationships that we watched with our grandparents and stuff, divorce wasn't an option. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you watched a lot of those people unhappy on both sides. Either the man didn't talk to the wife or the wife didn't talk to the man. And so if you start a relationship, I wish that more people, not counseling necessarily, but people had, I don't know, someone sit them down and, and you know, in your twenties though, no one can tell you anything. You're going to do it better. You're more in love than anybody else ever has been in the history of love. Right. And if, if that wasn't the case, we probably wouldn't have any children in this world because honestly, it's that bullheaded stubbornness of our 20s that allows so many things to happen that probably wouldn't happen any other way. Right. Do, so you, it, do, you, feel, do you feel it should be um, – do, do you feel like there should be – because I hear this all the time. People mm-hmm. are like, you need to try. You need to try. Did you try everything? That sort of thing. And well, that sounds pretty vague to a lot of people, especially mm-hmm. – you know, I'm sure you've heard it a ton. Sure. Heard it a ton going through those situations. Um, a, I feel like most of the times I've seen that it was like a specific moment that someone had like the catalyst to to make that change. Um, and I, I had my second thought and I lost it. But <laughs> uh, so let, let's go back to that thought then. Like, um, do you do you feel in or have you experienced? I should say in a lot of people with a lot of people you've spoken to um, that it ended up being a particular moment that ended up making going from I'm trying to I'm done. Yeah. A lot, a lot of times. So like counseling isn't for people that um, to, to, it isn't necessarily for people to save a marriage. A lot of times counseling is to highlight, okay, this really isn't going to work, mm-hmm. you know, and in, in relationships and people that I've talked to, you're they're like, she's so this or he's so this. And I always ask, I'm like, have you actually told them how you feel? Right. A lot of people say, well, no, 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 I can't. I can't because X. And so my big thing is I really believe you have to get the two people in a room. And if there's a third party that's necessary, but that person has to be given the opportunity to know how you really feel non-combative. But to know how you feel. Right. It sounds like it sounds like if you had more if, if people more consistently had that third party or that external party, whether it's a counselor, therapist, etc., to evaluate the relationship and essentially at be least able to say, like as crutches. As crutches. 
When a relationship's got problems and you've lost your ability to be able to communicate for whatever reason, sometimes just like a physical injury, you need to have some crutches or a wheelchair or something that can be ambulatory that can help get it to the next level if it can. If it can't and you have to lop off the leg, you have to lop off the leg. Right. But I just, I see a lot of people just being like, he's impossible. I can't yeah. talk to him. Right. Is that the case? If that's right. the case, then you really don't have anywhere to go. But right. I just yeah. feel like they should at least, and counseling's expensive, right? Like right. a lot of people don't go to marriage counseling because, but how expensive is a, is a divorce? Yeah. Yeah. It's how expensive so is alimony? How expensive is, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. So, I mean, yeah, in terms of trying, I think, I think that that makes the most sense, like going to counseling and being able to, to use that as a, as, as crutches, like you were saying, to help support the marriage and really properly evaluate. Evaluate it. Really evaluate it. Something that can continue. And honestly, I think a lot of the social stigma could be, um, could be softened if it was a situation like that where, like literally a professional said like you can't fit together anymore or you don't fit together anymore um which is kind of an interesting thought it's not it's just kind of like thinking out loud but um kind of an interesting thought because a lot of people come to you and they they to me you know after the separation it was extremely obnoxious to hear everyone say well did you try because a lot of my friends are very blunt they're very open communication gotcha you hear over and over again, did you try? Are you trying everything that you could? Did you do this? Or I would explain a situation and they would give me kind of canned responses like, oh, she's just being a girl or you're being a jerky dude mm-hmm. or something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I kind of had to get to the point where I was like, the decision is made. I don't want to, like, I feel like I've tried everything. Mm-hmm. And even so, you know, back to the word, did you try everything? being for the phrase rather being kind of vague is is kind of an interesting thing to to think about so i would almost think that that if there was a situation where you could like 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 how would you qualify that i guess you could say okay so let me give you let me give you an example so say uh, in your situation with your wife that you're that, that, that you're going through the divorce with if you guys were in a room and you have this exact same conversation that you and I have had. And she's sitting there and she's like, and, and a light bulb comes on and she's like, wait a second. So the changes that I see in you are so that you can become more like yourself, but you still love me and you want to be with me. All I have to do is understand and go through these changes with you. Right. Do you see like some people never get that opportunity to have that light bulb come on? Right. And so if, if you're like, listen, I, I love you. I just, I need to X. Some people never get that opportunity. They just, the person is just like, I can't be myself with you. You know what I mean? Is there a bridge there or is there no bridge there at all? That's kind of what I'm saying. Like has, has the other person had the opportunity to change? Have you had the opportunity to compromise and work with that person? I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that totally makes sense. Um, that light bulb moment of, man, I have been a jerk. 
<laughs> I have been, not you. I mean, even in my case where it was like, I didn't mean to say those things or I said those things because of X, you know, but that doesn't matter. It still hurt you. You know what I mean? To be in a situation where you can really take ownership of something and, and, and change, you know? I mean, it's good to even explore that post-divorce too. Oh, absolutely. You should continue to look at the relationship. You should continue to look at, or at least I feel with my experience, that I, I continue to dive in and, these are the conversations I have with Molly all the time. Like, we're, so we talk about each other's, uh, you know, marriages and what was going on there and um, kind of compare notes, as it were, and, uh, you know, help each other grow. Because it's not, it's not about me personally just trying to get someone to say, like, yeah, you're right. You're, you have every right to do that. Right. It's more like I want to get to where the gold is. I want to get to where that light bulb moment that you're talking about, not just within the marriage, but... For myself, like what were the moments that, okay, maybe if my behavior was a little bit different in this spot, I could have shifted something else. Or what can I take from this relationship, these seven years, and take into my future? You know, Absolutely. And it's, already, and it's already manifesting in this current relationship, but being able to, you know, uh, to be honest and to be able to speak what's on my mind and be honest about what my moods are and how I'm feeling and how that affects how I speak and my behavior. Um, yeah, that's already been a godsend on its own. And uh, I credit that to, uh, uh, like you were saying, you know, to, to the self-awareness ability. I feel very lucky to be a person that can do that. It's not everyone has that, unfortunately. So let me give you a little piece that I really haven't ever talked about. <clears throat> but in my marriage, so um, I was the male I guess in my situation versus because I was the one that was making the money for the most part I was doing all these things I didn't handle stress very well I mean I did but it wasn't very conducive to being a wife I was in the military I had to make decisions I had to do these things so I wasn't able to be the soft nurturing person that a man wants usually in his wife Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't realize, I really did not realize how much of that was hurting him. I really didn't. Like, I was just surviving. I was going, doing, whatever. Right. So the things that came out of my mouth weren't always good at all. And they're things that I I am so, like, embarrassed about or just, like, it's things that I re it took me so long to be able to forgive myself over. And that's why I talk about forgiveness so much. Because there were so many times I wish, man, I wish I could go back and, and you can't, you can't go back. So for me, I had so much anger, but anger, do you know what anger always hides? Anytime anyone's angry, do you know what it's, what is always below that anger? Always. Uh, cheat sheet, because we talked about this before, but hurt. Hurt. <laughs> hurt. I had so much, and it's not cliche. I had so much hurt in me from from years before, like from when I was a kid. My hair looks like a damn disaster this morning. Um, uh, it's like a bird's nest. I see that over here, and I can't think, so I have to just focus on you. Um, so I had all this anger in my heart, and I never felt anything because as long as I was angry, I had adrenaline and cortisol and all of these things numbing me. Well, when he left the first time, it broke me, broke. Mm -hmm. 
And you think, well, that's a horrible thing. That's terrible. Well, in some ways, it saved my life. Because sustaining that kind of anger and sustaining that kind of pain, I would have ended up with a disease or something, cancer or something, because all those feelings were there. I just didn't deal with them. Well, at that point, when I broke, I feel everything now. So whereas before, because I was just angry and that's the way I lived my life, I didn't have to deal with anybody else's feelings. Do you see what I'm saying? So like my, my light bulb moment, it's not that I'm a horrible person. I just didn't realize it. I was just doing the best I could. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, you were just being you. (laughs) So, so it's not that. So, so sometimes, and that's where my filter comes in. I'm like, did that person have the opportunity to fix? Mm -hmm. And sometimes the answer is yes. Yeah. You know, but so I that's when I really learned what it takes to forgive is I had to go back and say, OK, that person that I was then, I'm not her anymore. Right. So I have to forgive her because she was doing the best she could. Absolutely. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I, I think I think so many more people could benefit from that. And I think that speaks to how well you are at what you do, that you can speak to that. I think that's a core core value that a lot of people can adapt in terms of not just within divorces or relationships, but within themselves or like little mistakes, they lose a job or they do uh, make any kind of other decision in life. Like that person made that decision for a reason, some sort of reason. And it's not always that people are monsters. You can, you can paint your ex to be a monster, but you fell in love with them for a reason. Not you, you in general. You know, and, and so when we talk and, and people's actions after the fact, you know, we can it hurt. Hurt makes people and emotions make people do some crazy, crazy things. Absolutely. But yeah. So I, you know, it's, it's not always that the, like, it's not always, oh, poor me, you know, in my situation. And, and, and I had some <clears throat> things after that because we tried to work it out and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the eventual end was so painful. But I had to go through all of that to be in a position where I am right now. Because I can listen to you. I can listen to your ex. I can listen to anybody and be able to at least meet them where they are in the, you know, wherever it is that they are because of all the different facets that I have experienced. Yeah. And not blame someone as opposed to just being like, do you want to move forward? You know, do you want, and you're there. I mean, your lessons, you've taken them, you put them in your pocket, you're using them to shape your new relationship. And that's what's beautiful because that's what you have to do. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're not done until we're done. Exactly. All the time. Everybody's a human being. And that's what's so hard. Like when I go into, um, cause I love to help people. So I'll like go into some of the divorce groups and I'll listen to what they're saying and I can feel the pain in some people. And some of it's just that feeling of abandonment, you know, their, their spouse left them. They're with someone that's younger now or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can just feel that pain. And, and I wish I could take people's pain away. And I just hope that they continue that journey so that they get better and so that life continues on. Because I know you've seen it. Those people that are like 20, 30 years after the fact and they're still talking about it and they're yeah. still bitter, mm-hmm. those people are going to get disease. Those people right. are going to get 
it's it, your body can't sustain that. Yeah, I, 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 with my you know my mental illness and, and exploring that, I've, I've sort of discovered or there's a commonality that a lot of that stuff manifests or extreme stress or uh, really difficult um, uh, uh, mental focus kind of comes with that repression, not being able to express yourself, not being able to share what feeling like you're not able to share what it is that you're going through or exploring for yourself what it is that you're going through, finding some sort of peace with it or forgiving yourself like we were talking about or any of those situations. Uh, they let it ruminate. And we have to encourage, which kind of leads into a, a question that I want to ask about sure. sort of the stigma around divorce uh, that a lot of people, a lot of people get a divorce for Good reasons. They're leaving abusive relationships, so they're leaving difficult things, or they want to, you know, explore different areas of their life, but they're just not that person they used to be anymore. And um, a lot of the times, people can't properly express themselves post-divorce or really in any situation because of certain social stigmas. Um, so particularly, uh, there are situations where people are either they're dealing with, you know, religious groups or they're dealing with um, any kind of situation where like maybe their family is not accepting of the word divorce <laughs> where mm -hmm. you know, friends friends keep with me friends keep saying are you trying are you trying did you try not and like, it's been made already um you feel that there are things that a post-divorce person can do to sort of protect themselves from the stigma in a way um or or set some boundaries as to what they are willing to speak about or not speak about. Absolutely. And see boundaries and <clears throat> boundaries and those kinds of issues and those kinds of situations are always dependent on the person. Like if you are doing your inner work, I hate to say that because it sounds so cliche and cheesy, but if you are self-aware, if you're on your path and really it doesn't matter who they are if it's somebody that is talking to you that you don't want to talk to or they don't understand and really there's that canned response of I really appreciate I can tell it's you're saying these things because you love me mm -hmm. and I just want you to understand that I'm going through a lot right now and this is the path that I have to take I appreciate your concern but please understand that I'm thinking everything all the way through yeah. You know what I mean? Just because you have to cut those kinds of things off at a certain point. If they're trying to show, show, they're trying to show love, they're trying to show, you know, concern, but that doesn't mean that it's something that you have to take on. Because see, they're going through just like I triggered you when I said, have you tried everything or whoever you is? That's a trigger for you because of whatever. Well, we all have our triggers. And so what those people are actually speaking through is their own fear, yep. their fear of whatever their perception of divorce is. Mm -hmm. So if you can meet them at, hey, I understand you're, you're showing me love. I understand that you're trying to help here. But really, please trust me that I'm going through all the steps and I'm doing everything I can. And this is very difficult for me right now. But thank you. Really just showing someone gratitude for caring usually will be enough to stop them. Yeah, I think I think there's a certain level of of self respect required. Absolutely, we're all on our own journey. We all yeah. have our lessons to learn. 
We all have, you know, and, and that's why I, I really, yes, in some cases, I think that there is maybe one person that's more at blame than the other. But for the most part, everybody is a human being. And if we could get back to that whole Brene Brown, you know, the vulnerability and understand that when you hear someone's story, you hear one side. There is another side. And then there's a third side, which is actually black and white truth. Right. So, man, I think we have talked over an hour now. This has been incredible. That was beautiful. (laughs) This has been incredible. Um, Thank you so much for being brave enough and, and, you know, open enough to talk because a lot of people won't ever go to get help or reach out. But if there are situations where they can listen to and maybe identify with somebody or get ideas, like in your case, um, that's what it's all about for me. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think I think this is a good example of what needs to be done in post-divorce situations or any situation where you just need to talk to someone. You need to Absolutely. be willing to I, I essentially stop acting in fear, you know, right. stop worrying about what other people think. Yep. And be willing to share your story so you can accept and use that feedback. Forgive yourself like we've talked about. And be able to, you know, I've always been a person that has, because of what I've dealt with emotionally with my mental illness and with a lot of heartbreak in my life, it's been hard to talk about. I've talked talked to people in private, but I think as you've seen the patterns of people um, not being able to express themselves and that repression leads to long-term issues. Mm-hmm. I think it's important both in mental health and in divorce and relationships to be able to express yourself, not just to each other, but post-divorce to friends, to be able to say that, you know, I don't want to talk about this, or this is what I do want to talk about, or I need someone to talk to, mm-hmm. or get a therapist or someone to speak to or do a Facebook live and just put it all out there. Well, an unbiased third party is so healthy because friends, regardless of which side they're on, they already come in with a bias. But if you can get that unbiased third party, that's usually the most healthy thing that you can possibly do because they're going to ask you the tough questions Mm -hmm. that make you think and make you continue to grow. Hopefully if you get the right person. Yeah, I mean, you've been great. I'm, this is you can take this as a testimonial because you've been really great at asking those tough questions that you know friends or Molly or anyone that's been close to me hasn't really been able to ask. And those are things that I like to be able to dig into. Right. They might hurt for a second. It might be like a shock. It might yeah. Be like, it sucks. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but but it's good. It's good for self exploration mm-hmm. and. You know, if you're a person that is able to take that criticism and be able to see it as something constructive, I think you're a good wordsmith and be able to express that to people in a sense that you're not judging. They're just trying to help. Nope. They're trying yep. to move things forward. That's that's incredible. And I think our conversations have been great. So yeah, I love talking to you, Christian. You're awesome. <laughs> well, hopefully this helps people. I'll definitely check out the comments and try to where I can. Too. Awesome. Please do. Yeah, there's a few there. So hopefully people as they watch will uh, continue to talk um, to us. So thank you so much. I hope you have an awesome rest of your Monday. <clears throat> and if you need me, you know where to find me. Absolutely. It's okay. been a pleasure. Actually, I have a follow-up for you. So yeah. Okay, perfect. (laughs) Sounds great. I'll talk to you later, man. Bye.
Hey everybody, thanks for listening to C-Note FM. I hope it makes you want to take over the world or go, I don't know, flip a car or something positive like that. Uh, If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and give it a good rating and all that good stuff and share with your friends and uh, let me know how you felt about it. Uh, Go to HowMyNameIsChristian.com to find out more about me and what I do and uh, I'll talk to you and see you next time.